0: Welcome to Sybility Savvy, the show that demystifies cybersecurity for -for not-for-profit boards and leaders. Hello, I'm Michaela Leoborg, founder of Sybility Consulting and host of the Sybility Savvy podcast in the YouTube channel Sybility TV. Today, I'd like to welcome you to Data Privacy Week. The purpose behind having a Data Privacy Week is to impress upon everybody the importance of online privacy and educate people about how to manage their personal information. Because in this day and age with technology everywhere, in our pockets, in our homes, you know how can we actually keep it private? But that's not what I'm actually going to really talk to you about today. Because you're here as leaders in your organisations, wondering what you can do to help your organisation respect the privacy of people that you serve, and also being transparent about you know, how you collect and use people's data. There's a bit of confusion around the terms, uh, which in one way, you know, it kind of doesn't matter because the key thing is it's, you're know, thinking about data anyway. Um, but for those of you who do want to know the difference, data protection really means different things depending on which perspective you're looking at. From a legal perspective, it's all about the sort of protection uh, of people, their data and their rights around how their data is used. Whereas data protection in a security sense is actually around things like the controls to protect those people's rights. So for example, uh, encryption would be part of data protection, but anything that can help sort of prevent data from being corrupted or destroyed, that sort of thing. So different things in different perspectives, depending on who you are. But ultimately, the privacy side and the security side both go in data protection. And these, in turn, are part of the information governance function. Privacy is probably one of the things that most people think of in relation to data protection uh, because you're thinking very much about people's rights and how we you know organizations can use their data lawfully. And that is part of data protection, absolutely. People's rights and having a representative representing those rights in an organisation and having their viewpoint is quite important. Then you've got the security aspect of it where we're really thinking about confidentiality, making sure that there are controls around, you know, protecting all information that needs to be protected. Not all information is as valuable as others in terms of the controls that we put around them. And then we've got the sort of thinking around integrity of information and making sure it's accurate and, you know, not corrupted. And then also the information is available to all that need it at the time that they need it. So those are the sort of security concerns. Now, the thing that kind of joins them together is the aspect of confidentiality. From a legal perspective, you've got the common law duty of uh, confidence, where you know, if there's certain information that somebody would expect to be treated as confidential, like my health record, for example, then people with access to that are expected not to share that with people without my consent. So you've got the privacy side looking at people's rights. You've got the confidentiality nature of some of that information and security protecting that. One thing that kind of wraps around all of this is ethics um, around how data is used. When we think about how data is used, we think about the information life cycle. So this is really one of those sort of core building blocks for everything around what we do with data, from how we actually either create it in the first place or collect it from others, how we use it where we store it, Who we share it with, and particularly with partnerships uh, and not for profits, there's an awful lot of sharing that does happen. The bit that people tend to sort of sometimes forget is the archiving safely of that data if it needs to be kept for a certain period of time. And if it doesn't need to be kept, then the secure destruction of that data. When you think about, you know, sort of privacy teams, data protection officers, and security teams, we all care about data as it moves through that life cycle but we look at it in slightly different ways data protection professional would look at it from a kind of is it actually legal to do this from data protection law perspective also a consideration to is it ethical because just as legal doesn't mean we should in healthcare actually they also have cod guardians whose role it is to specifically look at uh, is it ethical to do that with healthcare data? When you've got a data protection person saying it's legal, in healthcare, called court saying it's ethical, then when it comes to security, we don't need to worry about that because that's already been answered. We look at then how do we secure it uh, and actually achieve those objectives um, and make sure it can all be used in a safe way. So we've already spoken about the elements around information governance, data protection, privacy and security. But what does that actually mean for you as people that need to seek assurance and the responsibilities for the organisation? Whilst I've worked in information governance for a long time and I specialised in information security, I thought I'd invite somebody along to uh, talk a little bit more about it. So I'd like to welcome Hannah Natcheva along to the channel today. Hi, Hannah.
1: Hi, Michaela. Thanks very much for having me on board.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for coming along today. Appreciate it.
1: No problem at all.
0: What was your take around the way I kind of broke out the privacy, data protection, security, and information governance?
1: Yeah, It fits with the way that I understand it. it information governance being the governance of your information, whether that's personal data or whatever data it is, you know, personal confidential data, Whatever you manage, that's information governance. Then we've got cybersecurity or IT security, which is the technical measures that you have to protect digital data or electronic data. I mean, we could all go into data management, data hygiene. It's, It's fairly simple. Keep it simple. Stick to the KISS principles, I think.
0: There's a lot of confusion around some of these terms and what it really means for people. Uh, could you perhaps just give us a sort of very simple overview in terms of what it means in terms of the obligations around data protection for
1: particularly the board? Okay, um, with the introduction of GDPR in 2018, that moved data protection responsibility up the ladder a little bit. So now that it is it, it is very, very firmly in the hands of the board in terms of directing privacy and the responsibility for privacy. The intention of things like fines, for example, was definitely to, to actually make it very, very clear the responsibility of privacy and data protection rests with the board. One of the most important things around board-level responsibilities is the idea of having a data protection officer. If your processing involves a large amount of sensitive data, data processing, so things to do with people's demographics, their religion, perhaps their health, their gender. That means that you will need to appoint somebody who is specifically overseeing your data protection responsibilities and advising you on those. As a data protection officer, I will often be reporting back to the board on their responsibilities, giving them almost like a state of the nation report on responsibilities in terms of data protection and how the organisation is meeting those obligations and keeping people safe, which is what data protection is about. It's important to bear in mind that the legislation's intentions was to try and balance out the rights of a data subject and to give them more control over their data and more more of a say in what large organisations do. There's a power imbalance between Uh, An organisation which tends to hold more power over people, uh, particularly in the employment space, when you're talking about uh, processing employment data or for the purposes of employment, where you have that duty of confidentiality over the the information that you use. The, The responsibility of the board is to make sure that they are being responsible and ethical with that processing not over-processing, not using too much data that you don't need. So one of the first principles as well is if you don't need to process personal data, don't do it. I think that's, you know, the data minimisation principle is probably the biggest one. Only use it when you have an absolute uh, essential business use for it.
0: What about, would you say, to those on the board who perhaps read something about the fact that the UK after Brexit were no longer part of the EU. So what about if they've sort of heard or been advised that, oh no, don't worry, GDPR doesn't apply to us anymore?
1: Absolutely not the case. So what happened when we Brexited was that we essentially had already incorporated GDPR into our laws so GDPR sits alongside the Data Protection Act 2018 in UK law and so basically GDPR has now become UK GDPR for the purposes of the law all of our laws so the Data Protection Act is actually the law that clarifies the application of UK GDPR so What happened um, when Brexit occurred was that a few things were changed in terms of the scope and who is responsible. So, for example, in EU GDPR, um, the person who is responsible and makes decisions around things like adequacy would be the European Data Protection Board. But in the UK, that would be the Secretary of State now. It has undergone a few tweaks to make it applicable to UK law, but it's still very much all of the articles were copied wholesale, over from one law to another. So GDPR is still very much relevant and valid.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for clearing that one up. The GDPR then still applies to us. We've got the Data Protection Act that still applies to us. You talked about those obligations as a board and how everything was sort of lifted up slightly. What would you sort of say that I should be asking the exec team about that data processing? What questions would you advise that we ask to seek that assurance?
1: Right, so I would ask them, um, how do they build privacy by design into your innovation? So as a board, you will be presented for strategic change programmes, for programmes of innovation, to sign off on new suppliers. Um, to sign off on tenders. And what I would say is to always bear in mind the use of data within those. So let's speak about the idea of a data controller. Most boards will be classed as a data controller. So they are the people who collect the data, who use the data and who make decisions about it. And often the third party suppliers who you are employing to do projects with, or to do new strategic innovation projects, they will be your data processor. So they're almost doing it on your behalf. You are still responsible as the data controller for whatever the data processor does. So therefore, it's very, very important that you scrutinize those tenders You scrutinise the use of the data, you scrutinise the data transfer and the data security arrangements within the contracts, and it's very, very clear as to who's the data controller, where the responsibility lies, and what their obligations to you as a data processor for the security and safety of that data. And also to make sure that there's something a get out of jail free card when they ha- when that contract ends. Another key idea or a key principle is that the data doesn't belong to us. Could you just,
0: uh, perhaps explain a little bit about you know whose data is it anyway? In the idea of a data subject, some people won't be familiar with that term.
1: So uh, a data subject in law in the regulations is a living, breathing individual. They call it a natural person in law which which sometimes confuses people because they go well what is an unnatural person <laughs> um actually in law an unnatural person exists so an unnatural person would be an organization in legal terms who would you sue you wouldn't sue the individual you would sue the organization so that's you would sue the unnatural person whereas gdpr only applies to natural persons in law and these are living individuals who have rights and remembering the origins of data protection comes from Article 8 of the European Human Rights Act, where that that comes from and living people have rights and and they have rights over their own data and the data belongs to them. If it identifies them, then it is their data. You are borrowing it and using it with their permission.
0: That's a really key point right there. Companies think they own data that they've collected, when actually it's more the organisations are custodians of that data and have responsibilities to those. I just want to go back a little bit. You mentioned the importance of obviously looking at it throughout the whole life cycle. Talk just very quickly, a little briefly about the sorts of things we might be thinking as we move
1: through that life cycle? Say, for example, we have employed a new web design company to come up with a new data collection site. So we've got an event running where we will want people to sign up to run in a marathon for us. That will involve collecting people's data so that you will have a sign-up form and the event hosting company who is creating this new website for this event, is creating a new data collection portal for you so that people can sign up for this event. What you've got to think about is what is your legal basis of processing? What is the reason that you are collecting that data? Because you cannot cross purposes. So you can't collect the data and then use it for another purpose. You've also got to make sure that it's kept safe and secure. So you've got to make sure that that web portal has the necessary security arrangements that you will require to keep it up to your standards of of security. So you've got to make sure that's screened to make sure that it's secure. You've also got to make sure that you have a data sharing agreement in place with that new supplier, which sets out their obligations to you as a processor, what they're supposed to be doing with your data, what data they're collecting, and what they can use it for and what they can't use it for. You might also want to scrutinise their obligations under Article 28 of GDPR, which is looking at liability. So what sort of data are they collecting? For example, maybe this event is quite strenuous and you want to make sure the people are over 18 and they're of good health. If you're starting to collect health data around them, you know, do you have any pre-existing conditions which may mean that you can't participate in this event? You've always got to make sure that you have Explicit consent from the person to collect that data, and you explain to them why that data is needed. All of these things must be set out in the contract. If they are processing particularly risky data or sensitive data, which would come under Article 9, which is the demographic data about people's health, religion, gender, that sort of thing, that there is extra liability in that contract to cover you for the potential fallout. Of a data breach. The greater the risk of the data, the greater the fallout of the data loss or a breach of security, which will lead to the loss of that data. So you have got to make sure that that, not only have you got the security to cover that data, but you've also got the fallback. So if that security does fail, that you have got the confidence that they will be able to compensate you for the fallout of that breach. So the, the greater the liability, the greater the amount that they will compensate you in that contract for the loss of that data. So when that arrangement ends, when that data processing uh, um, ends, that you have something in that contract that says, and when you've done that, you will delete all of the data or return it to us.
0: Well, what I'm hearing then is we expect, certainly in large organisations, people that are sort of working on these events and sorts of things, they know all this stuff and they're doing it all. But we still need to be challenging and asking these questions around that. You mentioned earlier, if we just pop back to the lifecycle for a moment, about using it, storing it securely, how we share that information. Particularly, I'm mean, interested to say a little bit about the archiving and destroying. You talked about how after you know, whatever this event is in their contract and that relationship with the party ends about giving that sort of data back but what about the challenges around understanding whether you should be archiving or, or destroying it
1: remember archiving is still a processing operation in law the longer you keep data the more you are at risk from that data so you must have a really good reason that you'll need to archive and keep that data and usually that is because of a retention obligation that you have which is actually set by other pieces of legislation if you have a will so you're processing data because there is a an estate and any data that is to do with the wrapping up of that estate will need to be kept for 13 years after the death of the individual. You won't need to have that actively sitting in a database where you can access it. You will want to archive that data and keep it secure somewhere where it is put out of reach of normal use. So you'll want to, to have a data warehouse somewhere which keeps that securely and locked away, but you will want to maintain strict access control over that data. So you won't want people touching that data or or using it in any way. You also may want to think about having some sort of archival routine based on when you have archived that data so that it can be securely deleted once that retention limit has been reached. I'm
0: just thinking that A lot of people out there, they're not all going to be running large organisations with teams of people who can sort of go away and do all this stuff. What if I'm uh, perhaps a trustee of a smaller charity? Do I still have the same obligations, even though I don't have those resources?
1: Absolutely. You still have the same obligations, but I don't think it needs to be a bells and whistles approach. You don't have to have complicated data warehouses. You just need to have an awareness of where your data is, what you're using it for and how long you need to keep it. And I think that's just generally, you know, having a record of processing activity is really key for this. You need to and a record of processing activity doesn't need to be really complicated to have. All it does is it says, okay, this is the type of data we hold. This is the reason why we're using it. This is where it is. This is how long long we have to keep it. And that's basically all you need to know around your data. And as long as you've got a list of that kept somewhere, you can keep it on a spreadsheet. I wouldn't recommend writing it down on a piece of paper or a set of post-it notes. But having it somewhere where you can access it and you can look at it and you know where your data is. Knowing where your data is means that you can keep control over it. Thank you. That sounds a lot more doable. Absolutely. Being aware of your data processing is a real key thing to have when you're a trustee, because obviously you're responsible for this. You're responsible for making sure that your executive knows where their data is, knows what they're doing with it and knows who they're sending it to. Because, you know, that is a key element of trust. Trust is very uh, paramount to data protection and data privacy, and security. Are, and security, precisely, <laughs> studies have shown that extreme transparency and extreme openness about your your processing operations is something that enhances your relationship with your supporters or your members or you know the people whose data you process. The more trust you have, the less likely you're going to have data breaches, but also less likely you're going to have complaints. Telling people what you're doing with their data and why and what you've got there, you know, having a a transparent privacy policy that everybody can see on your website, really easy thing to do. Just telling people whenever you collect their data, this is what we're doing with your data. This is why we do it. One of the things that I always say to people is if you're afraid of telling people what you're doing with their data, Do you think you really should be doing it? That's the thing. If you're worried about about saying what you're doing with it, then perhaps it's actually not something that you should be doing. And it doesn't follow that ethical, responsible, trust-enhancing relationship that you've got with the people whose data you process.
0: I think that's a really, really key point, Hannah. Thanks for uh, stressing that. Just because something's legal doesn't mean you should do it.
1: If you tell people what you're doing with it, and particularly if you're relying on consent to collect data, incentivising that consent is not illegal. You can put that in. That's fine. For example, Sainsbury is saying, if you sign up to Wild rewards programme, we'll collect your data, but here you can have some money off vouchers every month. That's perfectly legal. And it's called the data value exchange. They're more inclined to give you their data um, and they're more likely to want you to keep it if you're keeping it safe and secure and they know what you're doing with it.
0: Just thinking then about sort of key takeaways then uh, for this week let's pretend you know I've got a board meeting next week that project's there what are your sort of top three takeaways that I need to be thinking about and challenging for their assurance?
1: Data protection is all about privacy and security. Privacy by design means that. You're always thinking about the person whose data it belongs to and your responsibilities and obligations to them when you're collecting it. So always bear in mind would I feel comfortable with this? Do I understand it as a party when I'm collecting data? Is it understandable? Is it clear? People can't consent to things that they don't understand or are not clear to them. So is it transparent? If I'm getting somebody else to collect that data, are they being transparent? Do we understand what they're doing with the data? do we know where our data is do we know that it's secure do we know that we're deleting it or we know it no longer need it all of these things are things that you need to think about and that builds privacy and it bakes it into everything that you do always bear in mind would i be happy with this as a data subject
0: that's perfect thank you it's actually one of those questions as well that i use in training would you be happy thinking about your data being looked after by our own organization and mm. uh, that can be an interesting uh, answer depending on <laughs> where you are so uh, no thank you so much I uh, really appreciate you coming in and joining us uh, for data protection day this My year pleasure. okay see you again then see you bye-bye you. that's it for now thanks for listening if you found this useful please subscribe and share on twitter and linkedin I would also appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and leave a review. You can contribute to future episodes by visiting our website to share your cybersecurity concerns and questions. The link is in the description. This show was written and produced by me, Michaela Leavorg, and co-produced and edited by Anna Garner. Music by CFO Garner. I hope you join us next time.